2: Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.
3: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com newsadfree that's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
0: On DAB Plus, online, by the Talksport app, and on your smart speaker. The
2: Women's Football Show. With Leanne Sanderson. Absolutely first class on Talksport 2. Hello,
4: hello. This is Talksport Women's Football Show. Don't forget you can listen back to the full women's football show via the TalkSport app. This week we're on Monday at 7pm. So swipe for TalkSport 2, find Monday and you can listen full from there. This week I was joined by Tottenham and Jamaica goalkeeper Rebecca Spencer and we discussed how she's finding the season so far how are you doing my friend
1: yeah no i'm really well really really good thank you very rejuvenated after my little trip to portugal so, i was yeah, about good. to say i
4: saw you last saturday when we got honored at the emirates because obviously we'll talk more about that but we we're at the we we're at arsenal together and then the next thing you messaged me saying to me you're going to porto like literally that same night
1: yeah it was a spontaneous one just wanted to get a different change of scenery different environment and yeah i'm back already so it was great
4: and happy belated birthday by the way Thank you, you. a birthday the other day and you know what do you like to do in your downtime though because i know for me like i love traveling yeah. so is
1: traveling something that you like to do when you're not playing to switch off i think as i've got older um i definitely appreciate it a lot more just seeing different cultures and just being around different people and you know i kind of like doing stuff on my own quite a lot um but in my downtime like i'm a massive family person i've got a huge family so i love to spend as much time how many with and nephews you got so I've got
4: nine <laughs> <laughs> I just want everyone I've to know that nine. I know your family's a big fan I've known your yeah. mum and dad for years yeah yeah so we obviously grew up together at Arsenal you know I've known you for 20 plus years although we still both look about 21 <laughs> I'll speak for myself um, talk to me a little bit about how it felt for you growing up at Arsenal you know you're in the first team Emma Byrne was the number one goalkeeper you understudy like how impactful has she been on your career and just growing up at Arsenal
1: yeah um obviously it's an amazing club um and it obviously felt like home right from the start and obviously when you go through the academy and you go through all the different age groups you kind of think that's your home um so obviously going into then the first team at such a young age it was just like it's an eye-opener um it definitely humbles you anyways as as a kid you think okay i need to kind of grow up a little bit you know quicker than you know most kids probably would um but something that I appreciated you know by all the players that were, were there was that they all treated me like an adult straight away uh, there was no difference in how they treated me and I think that also helped with with my growth in the future
4: so obviously you've had three different spells at Arsenal and now you know you're at Tottenham Hotspur you've been there now four or five seasons right yeah, yeah. I mean talk to me a little bit about that you know most people when they move to a rivalry club i know it's not the same in the women's game but you've been at the club how good is it for you to have some stability to be at a club for a long time
1: yeah um it's all i ever wanted and you know like we spoke about arsenal like i felt like that was my home and i almost feel like i've been through two different careers you know going into senior football at the age of 14 and then trying to transition into playing full-time football is really difficult and um once i had left arsenal i knew that i needed to play um, so just trying to find the right team was really difficult. And I'd been at some amazing clubs. Um, but definitely Spurs has been a club for me that has kind of been somewhere where I could settle. Uh, I've been there for five years and I've been on like a mini journey with, with the club from where it was to where it is now. So, um, you know, we're only been, we've been getting better each season.
4: Yeah, I agree with that. I also want to talk a little bit about being a goalkeeper, right? Because... When you're, like, not number one, I always think about the mental side of being a second or third choice goalkeeper because as an outfield player, if I'm on the bench, there's a good chance as a centre forward I might come in in the 60th minute, you know, or the 80th minute or something like that. So how do you mentally prepare as a goalkeeper when you are not, you know, the everyday training, the goalkeeper union, the dynamic? Like, talk to me a little bit about that because I think I'd really struggle. I'm not going to lie. If I wasn't number one, I'd still feel like I'd be a good teammate. But every single day having to be the understudy or the second or the third... How have you, like, mentally, you know, done that?
1: I think, uh, obviously, growing up at Arsenal and doing that there for such a long time, obviously, I was very young, so I knew that I wasn't ready to play. Um, but I kind of kind of grew into that role of knowing what it took to do that. Um, so, obviously, you have to have a lot of, um, you know, resilience to be in that role. Um, and then you also have to be prepared if you do get called upon. And I think that's probably one of the hardest parts of it, is as a goalkeeper, I think it's the hardest position to come on in because you don't feel ready Um, so whenever there's a game I'm like sometimes I literally would sit there if I wasn't playing I'd be like this game wouldn't if I had to come on in here I don't know if I'd feel very confident going in in that game so I feel like you know if if people have got that mindset where they can be ready and switched on the whole way through like you know sitting there from 1 to 90 you never know you could go on in the 96th minute anything you've just got to be prepared for any moment and we've got to be like really warm and you've got to be you know ready to go and I find that really that's probably one of the hardest parts of it um, but the, like I said, like the mindset of of being a goalkeeper and not knowing whether you're gonna play or not is very difficult um like you said you don't gonna get you're not gonna get a chance to go on unless there's an injury um So it is hard, but I think it takes a special breed of person to be able to to do it.
4: Yeah, I agree with that and and fair play to you. Now, I want to talk to you about a trend that you guys set at the Reggae Girls. You know, a lot of talk has been about players have played for, say, England, younger national teams, and then made that decision yourself, Jan Sampson, Drew Spence, Jay Bailey. And now we're starting to see more players do it. Now, you played in England under-20s, you know, Talk to me about how that came about, playing for the Reggae Girls and, you know, we'll talk about the World Cup in a minute, but how did that come about, you kind of making that transition to play for Jamaica?
1: Yeah, well, uh, after I got called up to the England Seniors and I was kind of in and out of that squad for a little while and um, I picked up an injury and kind of after that I knew that was it. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to get back in. My form had dipped quite a lot and I was up in the air with which club I was going to be at and, you know, I kind of had like a respite from international football and I didn't, you know, get selected. Um, so in, uh, I think it was 2019 when it was the I think it was the World Cup I've forgotten what it was now in France You're in France yeah in France Euros? no the it was the World Cup I'm pretty sure it was in France okay. yeah it was um, the World Cup yeah and Jamaica went to that one and I had got contacted about that World Cup but I couldn't get my paperwork sorted um, but I think it was probably the right thing that I didn't go because I wouldn't have been ready if that made sense. So it's just like a long process of getting everything sorted. And obviously my dad's Jamaican, so, um, you know, I I qualified to to be able to play for them because I didn't know about Jamaican women's football growing up. And I don't think many people did. No. Um, So we didn't know that we had that other side that we could go and explore. So I think... You know, I've left it quite late, but I'm really, really happy that I've taken the opportunity to do it now.
4: Yeah, and I want to talk to you about that positive experience at the World Cup. But I want to hear about, you know, you guys went to the World Cup and not really knowing if you were going to get paid. So talk to me a little bit about that. And I think sometimes these type of adverse situations can sometimes bring you more together as a group because we've played for the love of the game for years, Bex. You know, we played in the game. You've been through the good, the bad and the ugly, as have I, financially and all those types of things. So how was that preparing for a tournament, you know, not knowing if you're really going to get paid?
1: Yeah, um, with us, you know, it's not always about money, but... You know we we know we're underfunded anyways we know we don't have a lot of resources and we have to try and make do with what we've got and i think we've done that for a number of years um but then it got to a point where we're going to the world cup and we were unsure how we were actually getting there um we didn't know about flights uh we had a camp in amsterdam just beforehand which was great which um sadella mali put on for us um which we had a fantastic experience out there and it was good prep and then when it came to actually us going to australia we didn't know how that looked so everyone was on different flights so you can imagine as a group as a team you've got say for example me and bunny shaw on a separate flight from everyone else everyone else has already got there but then you've got like certain players that haven't arrived yet so for our preparation obviously it doesn't help but then at the same time i think we had like a something installed in us throughout all the preparation camps where we just said look girls we've seen our group now and we're going to get out the we're going to get out the group and that was something that we kept saying And I kept saying it and everyone looked at me like as if, do you know what, she means it. And I'm like, I mean it, girls, we're going to get out of this group and then after that we'll see what happens but let's just make sure we get out of the group. And we did just that, so it was perfect and
4: you had a strong support back here in england i mean my dad's jamaican as well so yeah. you know i was rooting for the reggae girls and i think you know the fact that you guys went there talk to me about your experience there. i mean brazil france you drew you just got beat by colombia but how amazing was that overall experience for you being there
1: yeah it was amazing i think it was probably up there with one of the best things that i've ever experienced um with the group of players and you know just with how we kind of conducted ourselves and carried ourselves i was just so proud of each and every person Um, Because, like you said, you know, we don't have everything and you're playing against teams that have it all. Um, You're playing against top ten teams and, you know, we're the underdogs throughout and I think we could thrive off the fact that we was underdogs um, and make the most of it. So the experience was incredible and coming home was really, really hard from that tournament. I just remember getting home and just sitting in my flat on my own and I'm just like, I miss the girls didn't want to speak to anyone else and I don't think m- many people talk about post-tournament blues and going through that because that is hard
4: that is so funny because yeah. that was actually one of my questions I had written down yeah. because I know exactly how that feels and I don't think it's something that people talk about because yeah. you're in amongst each other you're doing everything with each other you're training you're thriving you're doing good and then you get home and you
1: just sit on your couch and you think yeah. what do I do next so what did you do next because <laughs> it's so abrupt like literally we went out the competition and then the flights are coming through that same night and I just remember like being on a flight and I'm like I've got to get a food shop on like as soon as I get back I've got no food at home like and I get home I went to my parents straight away and they welcomed me back but all they wanted to do was talk about football but then I didn't want to speak about it and I didn't want to seem rude or you know come across really being mean or anything but I was just like sorry guys I don't want to speak about it at the moment I just wanted to sit in silence went back to my flat and I live on my own so I went back to my flat and I literally sat there didn't even put the TV on and I just sat there and then i ended up phoning the girls that i'd just been with for the last month or six weeks or however long i was with them for because they felt like a family um and it's really hard to get over it and then you know i had to speak to like a psychologist because then i had kind of almost like an anxiety about going back into training after that um because i wanted to go back in early just to make sure that i was prepped ready for, for pre-season and, and the season ahead but i had to speak to a psychologist and just find ways of coping with going back into that environment and everyone being happy to see me and wanting to talk about it and how I could compartmentalise what I was going to say to them because I didn't want to speak to them. So I remember going back first and being like, I don't want to see anyone, I'm just going to go into the physio and just get treatment and that was it.
4: Yeah, I mean, it is something that's really underrated. And my last question to you, Bex, is club football, Tottenham, you come up against Arsenal at the Emirates next weekend. You beat them back in December. How was the girls? How's the vibe around the group? And are they still thinking about that game and taking confidence from that game in December when you beat them?
1: Yeah, um, obviously that was our most recent kind of real, real positive performance that we had actually had. Um, obviously we've had a dip in form recently, and you know there's it's, you know down to quite a lot of things. But um, I think that's something that we can always look look back on and go look that was a big performance, and we we had never beaten Arsenal up until that point. Um, So it kind of showed where we was at and showed kind of the the mentality of the club. Uh, The new manager that's also come in has, you know, set his his standards and, you know, it's just up to us to fulfil it. So, you know, we're all looking forward to it. And obviously the international break does cause havoc at this point of the season because, you know, everyone's away. They don't get back until probably Thursday. Then you've got Friday, Saturday to prepare for a game on Sunday. So it's always difficult, but I know that everyone has to go through it. For the first time this year, the Lionesses were back in action with a friendly against Austria.
4: I was alongside Joe Shannon for commentary duties on Talksport 2. So Becky and I look back on what was a very comprehensive win for Serena Vigman's side
3: 2024 he is off and running for the Lionesses. Made the angle tight goes for goal. Spilled by Sinsberger and the rebound is tucked in three minutes, it's a simple finish for the number nine, Alessia Russo. Header from Clinton is in!
4: What a moment for Grace Clinton at England debut goal! Scoring on your England debut doesn't get much better than that. And Austria
3: have got themselves a goal and Hannah Hampton had absolutely no chance. It was Virginia Kirschberger. Meade with a left-footed shot, finds the top corner. Hoisted into the penalty area, woman boy climbing, flicked in by Carter. Carter
4: all alone at the far post. Just Carter. I mean, take a bow. She almost looks embarrassed to celebrate, but it was a fantastic strike. Back he held it into the back of the net. And the header is into the back of the net. And Austria have a second almost right at the very end, and would
3: you believe it, it's Kirschberger again! Daly is clean through on goal here, with all the time in the world to smash it into the net! A good start to the new year for the Lionesses. With Italy to come on Tuesday, they've beaten Austria by seven goals to two.
4: So there, Bex, we heard it all. England 7, Austria 2. Now, Serena Wiegmann touched upon it in a press conference pre-game, talking about the fact that, you know, they have to put to bed the Nations League, you know, they beat Scotland 6-0 but went out due to goal difference with the Netherlands in that other game. How much do you actually think that disappointment is still carried with the team or do you think now it's just a completely fresh start?
1: I think in the back of their minds, I think you do still think about it. Obviously, when you see, you know, other teams competing for what they should kind of, by rights, be involved in, I think it's always difficult... Um, but, you know, with Serena there, I think it's time that they have to move on and they just need to get over it and they have to just try and find a way to, to prepare for the next thing.
4: Yeah, because I know there was a lot of talk about the fact that the players thought they were going to get a rest. So everybody had this whole agenda where all the media was saying, oh, you know, it's a good thing they didn't qualify for the Olympics. I don't think it was because, like I said on last week's show, when the US Women's National Team go and if they win the Olympics, best believe they'll be on an open bus parade around Times Square. So I felt like everybody was saying they're going to get a break. And, it, and obviously they're not now there's going to be qualifiers so you're a player still playing talk to me about the burnout these players might be feeling at some point
1: yeah i think with england especially i think they've been going at it now for the last 3 years without much of a rest um so i do feel for them majorly in this kind of in this period because it is a time where you'd think it would be a perfect timing for them to have a break, but then they have to prepare for for what's next, and that's the European qualifiers. So it's it's hard. But I think um, we know we need to do better looking at the scheduling because I think that is where the issue lies. There's just too much in one go. Uh, March is a crazy month as well. Like you, you know, you have camps, and then you've got so much games, and especially if you're in all cup, uh, cup competitions, you've then got to do all of that, and it's it's really di- really really difficult. And I feel for the England players because I feel like they're on the cusp of of being burnt out and and being really really tired yeah i feel for them as well and we talk about the the lineup only two of the starting
4: lineup were older than 25. first time in ages we haven't seen mary herbs lucy bronze and kira walsh starting was the experiment would you say successful
1: um i think it's difficult because you know in Austria it's kind of like a you know, it was quite a disappointing performance by them. Um, but I think it's probably time that we did see some fresh faces in the team now because um, it's, you know, been the same team now for a couple of years and I think it is definitely time to start getting some new faces in and especially the young ones coming through because there's some, some great talent coming through. And um, yeah, so I guess the the experiment worked and I think, you know, it was a, it looked like a training game to me. Um, so it's, it is what it is.
4: Yeah, Austria were really poor but you can only beat what's in front of you. But exactly. you just touched about the experiment and younger players. Grace Clinton, a teammate of yours at Tottenham Hotspur, yep. dream debut, scoring on your debut. You with, you're you with her every single day. What is it that she offers? Are you surprised at this point that she's been, like, not only picked, but in the starting eleven?
1: I think uh, when I first met Grace, uh, you know, she's only 20 years old and um, she plays with a lot of maturity and that's what I kind of like to see. She's got no fear, um, you know, and she's just got, like, a football brain and she knows what she wants to do. She's got no fear and... Um, that's what I like in a, in a young player. She doesn't think about what she's doing. I think she just she's just such a good footballer that you know she can dribble. She's got a great shot on her. She can head her. Like she's got so many different bows to her bows to her arrow that it's just you know it, she's an incredible player. And in these types of games, we said it before, you know, not taking anything away from the
4: Lionesses, but Austria were really poor. I was really, really, you know, shocked. They've got players, Zadrazil, the place of Bayern Munich and those types of players. But do you think it'll be difficult for someone like Grace Clinton to really break into that 11 when, you know, they're in the qualification because you've got Georgia Stanway, Kira Walsh, Ella Toon, or Frank Kirby in that three, it looks like. But do you think that she's got, like, the ability to
1: maybe make a state of claim to start in these games? Yeah. Um- I think she's on the cusp of, of being there. I think it comes with more games. Um obviously this is her first season in NWSL completely with you know, with us. And, you know, she's proven week in, week out what kind of player she is. And I think as long as she keeps that up, that side of it up, and she keeps developing as a player and keeps maturing into that role, I don't see why, you know, in the coming games where she can't get a start here and there, I think that she kind of would deserve that because she's really um uplifted our team and she's brought us something completely different and without her um, you know, games would have been really, really difficult this season for us.
4: It's yeah, it's a shame really as well because you've only got her on loan. Yeah. So now that she's come to you and obviously had a good season, I mean, I'm sure Manchester United will want her back. <laughs> but so Alessia Russo, another player that I absolutely I love Alessia Russo. I think she's a top girl as well. Two goals. Mm. Now I don't I don't know what you think about these specs, but. I don't fully think that Serena Viegman has figured out who will be starting in that nine role because against Scotland, we saw Lauren Hemp play there. Leslie Russo was on the bench. Rachel Daly just seems to be coming in, you know, getting minimal minutes. Do, what do you make of her game on Friday night? And do you think Serena Viegman is fully sold on her being the number nine that's going to start going forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I feel like we've been going, they've been going through this kind of thing with the number nine where we don't know. It's always in doubt. We don't know who's actually going to start there. Um, so I think it's always up for grabs, and I think that's always hard as a player because then you don't know whether you're coming or going. So I think with with Les, I think she had a good, you know, she had a good performance the other day, and you could see she had something different in her uh, where she just wanted to just take it. Um, and obviously Rach Daly, you know, she's a proven striker and she scores a lot of goals uh, last season, especially she was, you know, she was on fire. Um, so it's really difficult, but it's good for the competition for places, and I think that's always healthy in a in a national team to have competition for places. There's no complacency, so. You know, moving forward, I think it's only good for England that they've got so many options to play up there because you don't know what could happen.
4: Yeah, I agree. And obviously, you're in amongst it still. And I love Serena Vigman, and I always say, I wish she was my manager. I wish she was there when I was on the team. And, you know, she's quite stubborn in her team selection in tournaments. But what what do you hear about Serena Vigman from your teammates, like Beth England and those types of teammates? Because people talk, don't they? So yeah. what is it that makes her so good, Serena Vigman?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've only heard real positive things about her. And I think maybe it's the way that, that she communicates with players and the relationship she kind of builds with each individual and i think that goes a long way for us as players i feel like you know when you're in a generic kind of pool of players managers can sometimes just treat us all the same even though we've got different traits different personalities different needs and i feel like a manager that pays attention to detail for each player is something that You know can only bode well for for every single player that plays under her
4: yeah and i think that's something that's underestimated in the women's game that all you want is open and honest communication and i think there's a lot of coaches that i've I've played for that just don't tell you the reality like i'll work harder if you just tell me i'm not at the races yet but i think when they start talking saying stuff that's not the reality Mm -hmm. i think us players see through it so for england on tuesday night next challenge is italy it'll be a different you know threat Mm -hmm. to austria but do you think that we should see we'll start to see more experimenting, or do you think Serena will go with the players that she knows and trusts?
1: I hope there's more experimenting. I'd love to see Kira Keaton in goal. Um, I think she deserves to to make her debut uh, at senior level because she's been excellent this season, if not one of the best goalkeepers in the league this year. So I think she deserves that. She's a young goalkeeper. She's full of confidence and I don't see why, you know, that wouldn't be a game that she could probably go into because we've seen the same team over and over now. So I don't see why another friendly would, it's not going to harm anyone to, to see different players out there again. So I would love to see another experiment.
4: Yeah, and obviously you're a goalkeeper, I'm not. And I think goalkeepers see things differently, you know, from a defensive perspective. What is it about, about Kiara Keating and Hannah Hampton that has impressed you so much this season in the league? And, you know, you know best positionally, yeah. not just shot stopping and those types of things.
1: I think both of them are, you know, incredible with their feet. And I think that's now obviously the modern game. So, and the teams that they play for, they have to be good with their feet. If they're not, then they probably wouldn't play. Um, So to see someone so young, uh, especially in Kiara, she has been excellent with her feet. She's allowed to, she's just got the license to do whatever she wants to do with her feet. And you can see the confidence breeding out of her. Making a save for us, you know, as goalkeepers is, for me, is just as good as making a great pass out to your fullback or delivering the ball well with your feet because we do that more than we make saves and I think people don't realize that how many how many touches on the ball we actually have sometimes it's more than outfield players um so both of them are you know incredible with their feet and they've just both got incredible attributes to, to bring to the to, to the game how surprised have you been with Kiara because you,
4: you obviously knew a little bit about her probably more than I did coming through the ranks but obviously first season in the first team and she's kind of looking like she's been there for a really long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's credit to Man City, really. And I know the goalkeeper coach, Chris, there, um, and he's done an amazing job with the goalkeepers over the years. And I think it's credit to them for keep believing in her and giving her the opportunity to to make mistakes, um, you know, to play well and to just develop and experience different experiences of different opposition. Um, so now when you look at her, you can tell she looks like a seasoned pro. She looks like she's been playing for years and she's, you know, she's so young. So she's got so many years left, that, you know, so you ca- I can't wait to see what else there is from her
4: yeah and then another player that we know really well personally as well frank kirby got injured in the warm-up she's pulled out of the squad now ella toon went in on her place and i think it was one of the best performances i've seen from ella toon because i've questioned it many times you know in the 11 the best 11 in the world i don't think so but i think she's a good player what do you make of frank kirby you know obviously been injured for a couple of years now What do you think about her career with the Lionesses going forward? And obviously we wish her well with this injury and hopefully it's not going to be something pretty serious.
1: Yeah, um, I just find, you know, Fran, I know Fran really well and, you know, she's just got the character to just keep coming back and she's just been, you know, so unfortunate with the injuries she's picked up and, you know, once you pick up big injuries, you know, there's always other little things that keep coming and I think, you know, she's well looked after at Chelsea. Uh, They look after her. I think England is the same thing. So I think, you know, for her, she just has to be healthy. I don't see why she wouldn't ever be picked for England. I think she's, you know, she's an incredible player and, you know, I just hope that she can just get to a point in her career now where she can just be injury-free and she can just be able to just express herself for the rest of her career because she deserves it.
4: Yeah, I agree, Bex. Thank you. This is the TalkSport Women's Football Show on TalkSport 2. Leanne Sanderson and Becky Spencer with you. Coming up next, we'll see what stories are in the women's football headlines.
0: Hold that, please. Level 5. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns.
1: Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you.
0: Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale.
1: The most important thing is what? Sorry.
0: The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bing Bingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine.
2: Uh yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense?
3: LinkedIn knows how. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Leah Alec-Murray.
2: And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of.
3: Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrowcom slash
2: ACAST. The WSL might
4: have been on the break this week, but the world of women's football never sleeps. Becky and I discussed some of the biggest stories making the headlines this week. Something, Bex, that I think, is always going to take the headlines unfortunately another acl injury me official it's also been announced a positive thing that beth mead and viviana Meedabar are set to work with fifa you know to talk about their experiences with the acl now how does it feel now still playing in the game and every single week i think we're all becoming desensitized to the amount of injuries we're seeing within the women's game now we're not doctors i'm not a doctor i've all i've unfortunately had that injury myself how are the players feeling about the amount of injuries, and is there a lot of fear in a lot of players now? Because every single week we're seeing another ACL, another ACL, another ACL. Mm, yeah. So how does it feel being in amongst it still?
1: I think it's it's more sp- like spoken about now in changing rooms, whereas before that never used to really be a thing. But the more it keeps happening, the more people are starting to think about it. Um, and you know what they say: you think about it, then you kind of bring it onto the onto the pitch, and you're thinking about it out there. So I think it's really hard um to kind of find a balance of to you know go out and training and, and feeling really really confident because you just don't know it, at any point it could be your time to do it because i feel like it, it's just so common and so many people are doing it. i think it was maybe six in the last 10 days that i've seen like a whole list of and it happens and it's just like but how and why like why is it happening and how and i think these are the answers that we kind of start we need it now
4: yeah and i think the thing that frustrates me is i think if it was in the men's game You know i think there'd be more emphasis and i constantly hear people talk about research research but what does that look like and i think we said it off air before bex that we always believe in what the exercise scientists are saying what they're telling us to do but me personally i think we went zero to 100 too quickly without any type of support and you know maya spoke to you about this before we went on there and i want to touch upon this a little bit about the support that the players have got injury-wise and because there's obviously a lot of talk about how great the women's game is doing but players went from training twice a week like we did yeah. to training every single day yeah and there's not really much support in kind of mentally and the physicality yeah. of doing
1: that the transition is difficult because like you said you go from twice a week and you're working to then full-time athletes so then it's, it's a real there's no balance to it because you're just going like you said from zero to 100 and i feel like as the game is progressing and we're going more and more into the you know the, the women's game is getting bigger there's more we're doing more for it if that makes sense so you know we was at arsenal where we had the most successful years of our careers um training twice a week i mean fleets never used to train she used to fly <laughs> she used to fly in on a sunday and, and play the game and, and then go home That is a true story judy fleeting used to fly in for every
4: one of our games and play <laughs> score about five goals and then get back on that plane to scotland and off she went yeah because
1: she was a teacher right so It's very limited of what people were actually doing. I don't remember ever really going into the gym or doing any kind of strength exercises, anything like that. It was just the bare basics. We'd just go out, do a little warm-up and we would train. And then now there is so much that we do. Like, you know, before training, you've got maybe like a 45-minute pre-act or, you know, something else that you have to do beforehand. Then you go out and train, then you come back in and then you're in the gym again. And that never used to be the case. So I feel like the transition has definitely been difficult because... You didn't know about it. You didn't know that that was the right thing. So like you said, we just got to trust what people are putting in front of us. And there's obviously more research and more data being you know produced by everyone so then you just trust what you know what we're doing and it's what we get paid for it's our job yeah and i think with the research i
4: think we'll start to see the benefits in years to come Mm. unfortunately now it's literally like a pandemic of aco injuries and meniscus injuries and then we almost will see in the next five to ten years maybe this research will come into fruition so bex we're in 2024 and it's still crazy to say we're seeing minimal specifically female football boots being made how crazy is that
1: I mean, I actually think it's terrible. Um, I've spoken about this before because I think, you know, our foot sizes and, you know, the, the 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 width of our feet, everything about our feet are different to men's. And I'm like, it's like now, they changed the kit, so we wear a women's fit kit, but then the most important thing is what we're wearing on our feet because we're on it all the time. We have to kick with it, we have to twist, we have to turn, we're running. And I'm just like, but why is no one taking notice and why is no one taking care of that? Because a lot of feet injuries you know come because your feet you know your boots are not fitting you they're too loose or you know it's little things like that and i don't think we're really taking that seriously if i'm going to be totally honest
4: yeah and i think i remember there was a time about 15 years ago when me and ham came out of a pair and i remember we all had them at arsenal the they non-ice. gave us them yeah yeah they gave us to they gave us those boots and i thought they were brilliant and i think it, it's like a tradesman isn't it yeah. not having the right tools yeah when you're playing that's probably the most probably the most important part of your foot. I mean, when we had kits back in the day, it was almost like the equivalent of carrying someone on your back, wasn't it? We used to have the hand-me-down kits. And people think I played in the 1960s. I mean, I only retired four years ago. So it wasn't even that long ago that we were having these hand-me-down kits. And to be fair, like, when we were at Arsenal, I was thinking, oh, this is one of the men's kits. Like, loved it, do you know what I mean? So, but it's the reality. And I think that's why it's important to get different opinions like yourself that have played at the highest level, played for so many different teams, because I think there's this element where people kind of get carried away with the here and now and not really think about what's come before. So- yeah,
1: because, you know, don't get me wrong, ACLs were happening years ago, like years and years ago. I think my sister even done her ACL, and that was like in the, in, in the 90s. And I'm like, so it was happening. It's always been happening, but it's just been a slow progression of more and more. So it's definitely, there's something there that needs to be done like there has to be something there i don't know why or ha- like, why it hasn't happened yet because this is it's been years worth of it it's not just happened overnight definitely for sure now i want to bring our attention back to the nation's league
4: spain qualified for the olympics after defeating the netherlands in the semi-final france automatically qualifies hosts but they beat germany in their semi-final third place playoff decides the other qualifier on wednesday spain you know the euros olympics everything is it is it hard to see past them really. And what do you make of their progression? Because obviously in the Euros when England won it, Spain didn't look great. And obviously they've had all that adversity off the field of play, different coaches and all that stuff with Luis Rubiales. But is it hard to see past him quality-wise?
1: No, I think, well, they're the best team in the world. Um, And it speaks facts. Even without, you know, their, you know, without the big players that they also had, they still managed to win the World Cup. So... You look, you look at them, and the style of play, the way they do it, they never change for anyone. And I think that's something that is so refreshing in, you know, in a team. They just play the way they play. Doesn't matter who they come up against, they'll just continue just to do that. Um, and quality-wise, technical ability, everything, they're just—I think—they're just head and shoulders above everyone.
4: Yeah, and I think they beat us in the final and deservedly so. Mm-hmm. Another teams I want to bring attention to: Netherlands face Germany in the third place playoff on Wednesday to decide the final Olympic space. Who do you fancy for that one?
1: I'm going to go for the Netherlands. Yeah, I'm going to oh, go for the Netherlands in this one. A
4: little bit of reason why.
1: Because Germany have been a
4: force for years, and I think people underestimate them still now because they think, oh, you know, they're not like they used to be because they used to dominate every yeah. single team. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think it's almost like a almost like a little bit of a transitional period for them. But I think they had quite a disappointing World Cup as well. So maybe, you know, this will be firing their bellies to, to make it to the Olympics. But I wanna go for the Netherlands. I think um, I kinda I've enjoyed watching Netherlands over the years and they've also been their all whereabouts where you know they've always been on the cusp of winning things stuff and you just think, yeah, maybe I'm going to go for the Netherlands.
4: Okay, we'll see. We'll see you next week. I'll get you back in and we'll have a talk about that. And now, obviously, there's a lot of positives around the women's game at the moment, but the reduction in the budget in Switzerland for 2025, I mean, more than 70% reduction despite the initial promised amount of money. Now, you can speak from experience playing for Jamaica and knowing all that. Do we take for granted since the Euros, obviously, the Lionesses are flying, but there's so many countries that are not financially stable, not being back. So do we take that for granted a little bit, Bex?
1: I think so. Um, I think unless you're in it, you don't know. Um, Unless people speak about it, you also don't know. And I think we just have to be brave enough now just to get it all out there. Um, And that's something that us as a nation, as Jamaica, we have tried to do that. But it's almost fallen on deaf ears, so it's really, really difficult. Because there's other, there's so many other nations that are struggling, um, and you know, in worse situations than than Jamaica are. And I don't think we take it seriously because, like I said, if you're not in it, and if you're not a part of that nation, you don't feel it.
4: So, so how do you convince you. a nation to kind of invest within a team? Like, what does that even
1: look like? I mean, for us, we we were just fighting for basics, just basic things of communication, timings. You know just stuff like that just conditions and that's just something that we need to start off at just to feel more professional i think what's happened is um over the years they these nations have had players that have never been professional before but then as time's gone on more professional players are starting to play for these nations now so we know what it looks like at a club level so then when we come in to play for your country then you don't have an expectation for it to be the same but you have the bare minimum so when you're not getting the bare minimum that's when there's a problem
4: yeah and I think you know you touched upon it before when you and Bunny Shaw were traveling to the World Cup from different locations without your teammates traveling in the economy it's not it's not good enough Bex and Mm. hopefully bringing attention to it like shows like this and other people will hopefully make things better for everybody the WSL the championship and the World HQ have announced three new projects to support their clubs across various areas of female athlete health I sat down and spoke to Dr Emma Ross of Well HQ and Andy Hudson from the FA to dig a little bit deeper.
2: I founded the Well HQ with two other amazing women's health specialists about three years ago and our mission is to address inequalities for women and girls in sport um, and we do that through working with national governing bodies, um, consulting with them, helping them gain insight and also then helping them educate the workforce and that's really what the relationship with the FA has looked like. And um, since 2021, we've been working in this space with them. Um, One of the brilliant things about this project is it started off by going back to the players and the coaches and the practitioners who are working and playing in the game and saying, what's coming up for you? And so we started off with that insight work in 2021, reported that insight work back to them in 2022. And then Obviously, we're going to be talking about what we're rolling out now in response to that, which is super, super exciting.
4: So I'm touching on a few of the findings. It's been a topic of conversation the last few
2: years, and I know a lot of
4: clubs have worked on this, you know, menstrual cycle, menstrual cycle period, hormonal contraception. How will these types of workshops be delivered, and what does that look like?
2: Yeah, so um, all of those topics came up from the Insight work, um, as well as kit and sports bras, um, and nutrition and fueling well as girls and women. Um, and so what we did is we collected those sort of hot topics, if you like, where there was a need and an appetite to know more, better awareness, better knowledge. Um, and then we developed a CPD training for um, practitioners and coaches across the Women's Super League and Women's Championship. Um, that's delivered it online. It's called Football Her. And essentially, it's the first of its kind because it's the first sport-specific sport specific um training and development which really looks holistically at female bodies so not just reducing women down to having periods or menstrual cycles but saying these are the the whole host of topics that we need to be aware of when we're looking at this football player in front of us as a female as well as a football player and so we developed educational content um wrapped it up as a football her cpd course which is being delivered across as i say women's super league women's championship so that the whole knowledge base is raised. And then the clubs can, for example, some of the clubs have already started rolling out player education. So they're passing on that knowledge. Um, and so we get this lovely ripple effect across across the game.
4: Was there any findings from the report that surprised you?
2: To be honest, Leanne, I don't think anything was surprising because um, we find consistently the same topics coming up. So the same things like the fact that menstrual cycle... Um, so many girls and women uh, don't know enough about their menstrual cycle in the context of sport um, and they find that the menstrual cycle is holding them back and we found the same thing in football and that's why we really wanted to give the, the sports science practitioners and the coaches the confidence to have conversations about that in the very first instance because that's the biggest barrier is it not even knowing if your player is suffering um, and then also some tools about what to do um, how we track cycles how we manage symptoms and so um, we didn't, we weren't really surprised by any of the findings. They all of the topics that we expected to come up came up, um, but brilliantly with this project, we were able to act very quickly on on trying to fill, you know, fill that need and fill that gap in terms of knowledge uh, and support.
4: And equality and diversity is something that's been a talking point in a women's game for a really long time. What difference do you think that Well HQ will make, and the collaboration with the FA that you guys now have?
2: I mean, football is an enormous vehicle for us to be talking about women's health. So in that respect, it's absolutely fantastic, because I think if football get this right, if the women's game get this right, which they are absolutely doing, it's it's a, a real showcase that we need to look at people doing sport as female as well and consider these important elements of women's health enable to enable them to either participate and enjoy sport more or to perform to the best of their ability. So this collaboration is really moving to that that equality when it comes to everyone in football being able to realise their full potential. And equality means having the same. And and for some things in football, we're absolutely driving for the same. You know, we want women's players to be paid um, equally. But actually, when it comes to sort of science and medicine and supporting the female player, we're talking more about equity. So we're talking more about as a male or a female athlete, you need something different to be able to be the best footballer you can be. And that's what we're doing with this project is saying, there are some things which every footballer needs to do really well. Uh, And then when we're coaching and supporting women's players, there are other things we need to consider for her to be able to go as far as she wants to go.
4: And something else has been a big talking point in recent years. I mean, when I played, a number of my teammates did have babies, did have children around the England camp, which we all loved, Katie Chapman. But it was more predominant in America. Now, pregnancy within the women's game is still quite uncommon. What do you think Well HQ can do to support that? And also I think we're seeing more players now that are not waiting until they retire, but it's been a real big topic in recent years at the lack of support. So where does Well HQ come in into that and the involvement?
2: So what we've been able to do with the FA is be able to provide sort of expertise to help shape Guidance when it comes to supporting footballers who want to get pregnant, who are pregnant, and who are returning to the game postnatally, and essentially we just want everyone to be better informed because in sport more generally the exact same thing has happened. Leanne, that the athletes have waited to retire, and so we haven't had to support them as pregnant and postnatal athletes, and now across sport that is changing, but there was there was a gap, there was a lag in terms of everyone feeling really well informed, players um, and their support staff. So this project has identified some key areas, one of them being pregnancy and postnatal support of the player to say, what extra guidance can we give to the practitioners who are supporting the women in the clubs so that everyone feels sort of informed and confident that that's an absolute possibility if a player chooses to do that.
4: Amazing, thank you. I'm just going to come to you, Andy, now. So what is the FA's role been in, been in all of this? I think it sounds super exciting being a former player myself, seeing all this stuff. People talk about research, and what does that really look like? But what's the FA's involvement been with all of this?
0: Well, we very much looked at this through the through the pro game lens, and it and it is and will continue to be a really high priority for us as we roll into the new code. Uh, fundamentally, we've uh, we've made the investment. That's that's the first that's the first part. Uh, worked very closely with the well to guide the content uh, and also to ensure. Uh, the, the development of female athlete health has become a really key aim within the clubs uh, and across the leagues. Uh, and we've had, we've got a few levers for that, but in part, that's also through our license and governance structures. So you know, I understand that we are the first league in the world to mandate this as part of the club staff training, not only in terms of the broader education, but specifically the female health lead element to things.
4: So, Andy, as well, Emma touched upon it before, some players will be part of these workshops and kind of filtering through. But what does that look like Will we start to see players being given this information and then, you know, filtering it through the younger age group, like the younger Lionesses and those types of things and on a broader aspect?
0: Yeah, so um, we've taken a view that we wanted to work closely in collaboration with club staff primarily or in the first instance. So... um, we haven't aimed to to circumvent the club staff and provide information directly to players at this stage. Although that does happen through England and England pathways to the players that are in their in their care, but we're very much about focusing on working and collaborating cl- and collaborating with club staff to raise their level uh, of education and understanding and support in in support of them as they help develop players. As Footballers and as uh, and as people.
4: So my last question is to both of you, but I'll come to you first, Andy. So I'm super excited for this, as I mentioned before. I think it's an I think it's brilliant. You know, as a former player, you want to start to see things taking place. What are the next steps and when is this going to be rolling out and this exciting prospect?
0: Well, the the football her course, which is um education for all staff within within the club, uh, got underway in October. So we rolled that out. Uh, at the start of the season, uh, we will be uh, initiating the, uh, the female athlete health leads course at the end of March this year. Uh, so that is, um, uh, I mean, Emma can speak uh, a bit more to the detail of uh, of that. Uh, and then as uh, we go into the off season, uh, we'll have a series of those guidance uh, documents come out uh, in, in support of clubs so they can help to improve uh, and develop their systems and processes ahead of uh, ahead of next season. Thank you, Emma.
2: Yeah, so I think one of the things that we highlighted to the FA very early on is um, if you're going to do this properly, there has to be a sort of strategic, systematic approach and accountability and leadership so you can't just train everyone up and then expect everyone to do better. You have to have to have someone in each club saying, what are we doing in this club in the context of our resources and our people and our players? And so the next stage of, of the, the rollout is the Female Athlete Health Leaders Course, which Andy's mentioned, which is taking one person from each club. And they're not going to be the person that's you know has to know everything and do everything, but they're going to be the person leading the strategy. And they can work with the nutritionist or the psychologist or the strength and conditioning coach or the goalkeeper your big coach and say in the scope of your role how are we integrating female athlete health and really considering it and supporting it well so for me that's absolutely the most exciting part because that gives this whole thing longevity it means that this female athlete health will become a golden thread throughout the pro game that just gets acknowledged and supported as a matter of course in in football and and that that will be kind of the flagship i guess for other sports to look in and say this is how this is how we do it really well
4: Amazing. Well, thank you to Andy and Emma for joining me today. I'm really excited about this prospect and I look forward to seeing more in the future.
0: Thanks, Leanne.
4: Thanks, Leanne. Now, Bex, how important is this type of project for the health and the support of the female footballers? Because obviously for years we've spoken about the fact that there's not much support, maternity, menstrual cycle, that type of stuff. So how important are these types of initiatives?
1: Um, I mean, they're really important. And, you know, I'm... It's a shame that it's taken this long for it to actually happen. Um, You know, we hear a lot about all this stuff. We hear a lot about, you know, menstrual cycles and, you know, how clubs are getting different, you know, people in to speak about it. You know, we have wellness forms and everything like that. Um, But I think having support outside as well is is massive uh, for players because we all need to understand what's going on. Certain injuries can happen when you're on, on your period or, you know, just certain things like that. And maternity leave, you know, people need to feel comfortable that they can know come back to a football career afterwards and i think that's in you know it's important for us to have a peace of mind as well as we play yeah
4: i don't know if you've noticed this but i've noticed a lot of my teammates like former teammates were having to retire to have you know kids have you noticed now that there's there is a little bit more support? It still needs to be better yeah. but people are able to kind of have a baby and still be involved still get paid and those types of things
1: yeah um you know i i think um i think tony was the last person that i saw had a baby um tony and duggan yeah. yeah tony duggan she's still managing to play now and uh and you know, I think it's credit to her. Obviously, coming back after you know giving birth, I think is an amazing thing for any for any female. Um, but just seeing that just shows you that I think other people now will follow suit, and when they feel ready, they can feel comfortable in doing that, and knowing that they still will have a job to come back to afterwards. And that's all for this
4: week. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, I'll bring you the commentary for the Lionesses friendly against Italy on Tuesday night on TalkSport Two from five pm we'll be back next monday when we will review a huge weekend of wsl action including a north london derby at the emirates
3: tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad-free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the amazon music app for free or go to amazon.com/newsadfree